This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The TalkSport Fan Network is probably supported by Mick Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mick Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Welcome to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Goldman, and co-hosting with me today is Mike Gregg. This is another Q&A with Mike, and in this episode, we'll be once again discussing your questions submitted to the Cottage Talk Facebook page. On top of that, I also have some very interesting topics for Mike as well. We have much to talk about in this episode of Cottage Talk. Before I do anything, I always have to welcome Mike back to the show. Mr. Gregg, how you doing? Yeah, hi, Russ. Uh, yeah, I'm doing okay. Uh First time we've spoken really since the final uh, yep. where I saw you, and um, yeah, I mean I'm I was at a meeting at the club today, speaking to Fulham fans over the last few weeks. We're still all on cloud nine, aren't we? Waking up with a smile and uh, watching enough replays to bore the wife with uh, you know the game. Are you watching it again? Yes, yes, I am. So uh, yeah, no, all good, all good, Russ. It's all good, Mike. It's funny because my son caught me doing it yesterday, and he just looked at me and just said, again? You're doing it again? How much more are you going to watch this? And my answer back to him was infinity because I'm going to keep watching it, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I I must admit, I've not sat and watched the whole game from the first minute to the last um, in one sitting. I've sort of dived in and out, but I must admit, I've watched the last, from the sending off onwards, I've probably watched that last 20, 25 minutes. (laughs) Three or four times, just yep. looking at different players. Sometimes, if you get, if you watch it right. just Norwood, and then you watch just Callas, <laughs> and, and you know you you see something different almost you you know, every time. So yeah, although I still think they're going to score. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there with you, Mike. And what's great about this, and I tell my son this, is I I can watch this over and over again, and they still win. And that's what makes it so great. Is and uh, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Is that I always seem to find something different every time I watch it as well. And that's what's fun about it is that you can always pick up just little things. And it sounds like you're doing the same thing. You're keying on a player. All right. Well, let's start there, Mike, because I, I got several questions for you, and you and I haven't talked, and we did meet after the match. Just share with me your thoughts through your eyes, Wembley. 
Oh, well, it was, I mean, it was just a, a great day, a culmination of a, a long season. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was everything you wished for, wasn't it? Um, I surprisingly, on the day, woke up. I saw people saying they were nervous and, and this kind of stuff. But I, I, I felt like I did for the Derby game, the, the second leg. I felt confident that, you know, as long as we played well, uh, we could certainly get a result. I wasn't overawed by them. Um, my train ride into Wembley was on a very packed train with Villa fans. So you start sort of thinking, you know, is the is the Villa mass going to be there? And <laughs> and then you you come out of the station and I saw a sea of white. Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, yeah, and, you know, the sun's shining. Everything was great and um, everyone was in high spirits. Uh, I, I personally never saw any issues between fans certainly pre-game and it was all good spirited we did uh, I took my wife it was her first football game and uh, we met my dad and his other son in the ground but even leading up to that a few people come up to me and and say hello I, I didn't know him but they knew me somehow and uh, you know thanking me for the ticket stuff and you know just just wishing everyone a good game and uh yeah it was um I had to find uh, one of our listeners Brendan who lives in Ireland uh, find him to give a ticket. He was in one of the very busy pubs, and uh, but yeah, you know. And then the match, first half, absolutely dominated, uh, thoroughly deserved uh, lead, and what a, a typical Fulham goal, yep. if you like. And uh, I've watched that a few times. I created that <laughs> gif which I posted a few weeks or two weeks ago, and just that goal on replay. Yeah, I'll just watch that over I'll watch and over. That over and over again. Um, I, and second half, I expected them to come at us. Um, they did. He made changes, did the typical Bruce thing, which is just throw everyone up on the pitch and try and get a goal. Silly sending off, but we uh, great substitutions. I think it's, it's overlooked in everything yep. that the substitutions Kanovic made were, were spot on. And when you consider that's been a, a subject that we've spoken about on this show a number yes. of times, hadn't we, when he first arrived, that his subs were not good enough. But he got it spot. Oh, he got it right. And uh, and then the you know the final whistle, the elation from the you know the white wall as well, which I I like to think I had some some input in from the beginning of that, and uh, and the elation everywhere on the pitch, the coaches, the staff, you know, the employees at Mossford Park who who weren't in the uh, the uh, VIP areas, they were dotted around the ground and. And I think encapsulated, if you like, by that picture of Ream sat on the centre spot once the ground, virtually everyone had left. Um, and, uh, you know, just total relief that we'd uh, we'd made it and, uh, and, and deservedly so. And in the end, we finished third. Top three teams went up. No one can question that. Um, and we've seen the repercussions with what's happening at Villa. Yes, we're going to talk game, about that a little from bit. Their point of view. Yep. Yeah, and um, but it was just a perfect day, wasn't it? Absolutely perfect, and uh, it was great to see yourself, other fans, um, and the photos and the videos. And you know, I've liked probably a thousand different <laughs> things. I mean, I took a, I, I sort of came off Twitter a little bit for a week and a bit. Um, in some, in some ways for personal reasons, but in other ways just to enjoy the moment and, and look at what people have done. And, uh, you know, hopefully over the next few months we can uh, 
um, you know, gather a lot of that together to uh, in one place to relive it. And um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, and fans like yourself who travelled from far and wide, you know, many from America who I met on the Friday evening, um, even was given a a lovely gift by, by one of them, and uh, and then you know the fans from New Zealand, Australia, all over who came over, Everywhere. you know, came and um, yeah, and, and maybe you know there was there was I didn't see any Villa fans in our section, and if they were there, they they didn't have much to cheer about. And uh, by the end of it, I'm sure they were Fulham fans anyway. Well, Mike, what's great about this? I'm glad that you talked about the white wall. I just want to talk about that for just a second. I just want to mention this because uh, my group, Emilio, Reese, Steve Woodyard, we were among the last ones to leave. Uh, actually, a security guard came up to me and asked me to leave because we didn't want to leave, honestly. We were enjoying it. I didn't want that moment to leave. So I understand that. But let's get back to the white wall. And I've said this on several shows, so I want to get your thoughts on this. Have you seen anything like that? I've never experienced anything like that. You know, I'm, I'm getting a little criticism from Patriots fans because I said this is the greatest game of any sport I've seen in person. It is. For me personally, it's the greatest. And a big part of that has to do with the white wall and the Fulham supporters and being among them. And, of course, the result, everything just was so fantastic. But I want to get your thoughts on the white wall. Yeah, well, I can explain how it sort of came about from from my point of view and from the trust point of view where it comes from. So that's sort of the Saturday, um, I think the, the day before, you know, two weeks before. So the Saturday, a couple of people had uh, tweeted about, oh, wouldn't it be good if Fulham wore white? And, you know, somebody said something about a Winnipeg whiteout. and. Yep. You know this kind of stuff, and um, but there was nothing, no momentum there. Uh, we had a little bit of a chat at the supporters' trust online. Then I had a conversation with the club on the Sunday, and the club didn't want to instigate too much. Um, they wanted anything to come generic, you know, generically from the fans. And so we sort of said, well, we're we're we're, we're saying, what about wearing white? Well, let's go for a white out, white wall, something like that. And so we started, we treated that, the club followed it up and other organisations involved at Fulham and fans, you know, fans like yourselves as well were including FFC White Wall or White Wall as a hashtag. And the momentum grew and I reckon on the day there must have been maybe 85%, 90% of our crowd had white on. Um, I know the comms team at Fulham got a bit of a ribbon from the... Uh, the uh, commercial side, because obviously they had a load of black kits they wanted to sell. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, but everyone, you know, begged, borrowed and, and stole uh, white tops to wear that day. So, you know, it looked great. Um, other people have, you know, chimed in and said, oh, no, Derby did it four years ago and, and, and this, that and the other. But, you know, I certainly never knew about it. And it doesn't really matter. You know, you can talk oh. about... Um, you know, in Germany, you know, they have the yellow wall, don't they? Really? Yes, they do. Uh, you know, yeah, so uh, it, it was just something that took off and it worked brilliantly. And, and look at all those photos. And there's one in particular from the Villa end, uh, which shows it in all its glory. And, um, yeah, it worked brilliantly. I it did. And uh, fair play to everyone who, who took part. But even those who, 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 for superstitious reasons or whatever, didn't wear white, um, I myself, have worn a black away top all season 
Um, but I ditched that for the white top. But, you know, if others couldn't do that, that's fine. It all worked out well in the end. And it was the Fulham family, you know, as uh, as as together as I can ever remember it, I, I'll be honest. The Adams family era, that season, that promotion year, smaller bunch of fans. We were very, you know, the club, everyone was together. But I had that feeling at the final as well. Yeah, that's fantastic, mate. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on Wembley and, of course, the white wall as well. All right, Mike, let's now uh, go through a couple topics I have for you. I should say a few. Let's talk about Ryan Fredericks. What are your thoughts about him moving to West Ham? Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, he was offered, I think I read somewhere, he was offered three contracts by us, one last summer, one in the winter, another one in January. He refused them all for whatever reasons, you know. Um, and then we signed Christie in January. There's rumblings he's going to go to West Ham in the summer. I think the fact that we signed Christie, paid three and a half million quid for him, you know, he's not been signed to be a backup player in that sense, has he? So, and and when it was confirmed he'd gone, it's obviously disappointing, and and you can look at it negatively and say, well, why didn't you know? And lots of people have said, why didn't Fulham you know break the bank to keep him? But you know that opens up lots of other questions and possibilities we don't know the contract situations of certain players where you know they might have it you know if so-and-so gets paid x i should get paid doubling or you know there's all these kind of things that we really don't know because we're not in that world if you like um so just by doubling or actually you know if you read it he was on something like 15k and he's being given 60k so that's more you know that's four times what he was on so you do that at fulham Tom Kenny then turned around and say, well, you've given him a four times pay rise. I should have a four times pay rise. So, you know, where does it stop? You have to, every player has a price right. when you buy them and when you sell them and also a wage price. And But my feeling is Fredericks, you know, saw the opportunity to, because he would have got a really decent signed non-fee as well. Uh, it was his chance to cash in and, um, you know, he's made that move. Uh, we could debate whether he's, good enough for the Premier League or, or not, uh, what he would bring to them or what he would have brought to us going forward next year. But, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I've not lost any sleep over, over him going, to be quite frank. And um, I think he will join the long list of players who leave Fulham for uh, greener pastures. And uh, it turns out to be a bit of a mud bath and they get stuck doing nothing, really. <laughs> We shall see, Mike. It's very interesting when I was thinking about talking to you about this. I, I think about all of our discussions about Fredericks and you basically calling him the 60-minute man, not this last season, but the season prior, because you said he would fade after 60 minutes. I just want to get your yeah. thoughts on it. There was a huge improvement from, say, two seasons ago to last season, so he really did a job for us. So the way I'm looking at it is best of luck to him, and it paid off for Fulham as well. Well, that's it, yeah. I mean, certainly bringing Christie in gave him a kick up the arse, so he had to produce those kind of performances uh, sort of second half of the season. He certainly improved his stamina, um, you know, and uh, he was involved in a a lot of assists, um, but he could have been involved in a lot more. You know, his biggest... I look at him as... If you look at the 11 or maybe the... Maybe the 10 main players we had. If we say the right wing was the one that was always the spare person, who who could be any pick of five players, 
for the rest of the team, uh, take away the goalkeeper, I asked a question on Twitter, who's got the worst first touch? Um, some people said McDonald, but majority said Fredericks, you know. And right. so, so, when you, so when you look at the, the players, so last year we did it and we lost Malone, but you could say, well, okay, we lost Malone, you know. But he was, if you were going to make an improvement somewhere, it would have been at left back. Yeah, we, we may not have done it for the first we may not have done it for the first half of the season, right. but certainly in the second half of the season, Absolutely. I don't think anyone will turn around to me and say Target was is a worse player than Malone. So <laughs> you know, Fredericks, if you're looking at it, he is probably the second or third player you're looking to upgrade in the team. He's moved sure. on. We is is Christian upgrade? I don't know. We haven't seen enough. Um and we might look at someone else. But we also have an abundance of youngsters, but you know, we have uh, Ryan's brother for a start. Uh, we have Fossey as well. Yep. So, you know, there is a bit of a blockage there in the right back position. I'm not saying they're Premier League ready, far from it. But, you know, we have players in that position. And uh, if we start the season with Christy at right back, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be heartbroken about that. Okay. And I'm glad that you brought up Fossey and, and also uh, Ryan's brother because uh, I want them to have the chance to develop and. Again, they probably not ready, but we don't know this. You know, we're just throwing it out there. I'm glad that you mentioned them because they should have the opportunity to see if they can uh, prove themselves. And uh, we'll see if they're ready or not. But um, there are players, the young players, that we have at that position. So we shall see. All right, Mike. We're talking about right back because that's obviously Frederick's. Now, gone. I, I was thinking about this. I just want to get your thoughts on the positions of need for this summer because as you mentioned you know i think Fulham need to look at upgrades so where are your positions of need for this next season for Fulham? well i think it's a it's a two-stage thing what you've got to look at is we've we've also lost all the low knees um so just to be treading water you need to look at the low knees and say who would you want back um just just to keep an even balance if you like so I personally, you know, I think today there's been some postings about uh, Piazon and Callis. Yes, I saw that. I'm fine. I, I would be fine with them coming back. Um, and certainly Norwood I would be happy with. Target, absolutely. Yes. Uh, but I'm not so sure that's going to happen. And Mitrovic, well, we've got to see what kind of World Cup he has. And he'll be looking at it, uh, as will Newcastle. If he has a good World Cup, then you know bigger teams than ourselves will, will come in. But I do think in his case, Yukanovic uh, is the pull. But um, you know we will have to wait and see. But so, so just to sort of you know even if you brought those guys back, with Fredericks gone, you could argue oh, we're slightly weaker. And so then you have to start looking. Yeah, exactly. Where do you want to uh, improve? Well, I think we need to let Button go, and I think we need a, a stronger keeper, either to be the number one or compete with uh, Bettinelli. Um, so I would be looking for a more experienced goalkeeper. Um, you know, I'm not going to say it, but, you know, somebody like Carson, sort of that kind of age uh, and experience, um, preferably British, I would have said. Um, so certainly a goalkeeper. Um, as I say, right back, I'm OK with Christie. If you get Callis, um, then he can play right back if needed. Um, and you have a doy as well. Um, 
But I, w- I would say you also need to be looking at one, if not two, centre backs on top Absolutely. of that, what we already have. Um, and I would argue two, because I don't think Adoy would be able to do what he did at Premier League level. Um, you know, Reem, we, we, as as great as Reem has played, um, as great as everyone has played, you know, we don't know how they're going to uh, do at that level. So just for squads, squad size, squad depth, yeah, I'd get Callis and two more centre-backs. Yeah. Um, Left-back definitely is a position we need to get. Sure. Um, so you want target. Um, and, you know, if you don't get him, then we definitely need. But we've been linked, I see, over the last couple of days with ones we've looked at before. So that's definitely an area they're looking at. Midfield-wise, if we could get Norwood, great. If not, then I still think we need minimum two midfielders. Yeah. And it's a, it's a question of... You know, are any of the youngsters, do, do they think any of the youngsters are uh, capable? So Eden, you know, or Del Toro. Del Toro. Yeah, so yeah, arguably two at least. And, and then of course, we need a, a centre forward in the style of Mitrovic or Chris Martin, that, that kind of bigger centre forward uh, to allow Kamara and, and if Font stays to be that, that kind of other type player. Um, uh, and so, they, and there you are. So, you know, I think personally we need to get the um, loanies. We need to bring in eight, eight to ten players. They're not all going to be starters, but you need you need that kind of number to get the squad to a, a size where we're all comfortable starting the season. And uh, it's going to be tough for every club out there because the window is going to be shorter because of the World Cup yeah. uh, and because of the rule we had, we've implemented where. Everything finishes, I think, on the ninth. Um, so uh, yeah, eight, eight till ten. And I'd add to that, Russ. If you base it on what other teams have done who have got promoted, then we need to be probably looking at spend spending, not not net spend, but gross spend, probably somewhere in the region of uh, fifty million pounds, maybe maybe as high as sixty. Certainly no lower than forty-five. Um, so that's kind of figures you got to look at. Wow, very interesting there, Mike. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they what they do. But I'm glad that we're talking about positions of need as we look forward. And and Mike, I, I've said this before because I, I can see uh, fans are are looking for signing as soon as possible, and uh, it, it's understandable. <laughs> but one of the things I want to mention, and I'm used to this from the New England Patriots because New England Patriots tend to play late because they have playoffs, and thankfully go to a Super Bowl. The fact that Fulham went all the way to the final, I think that that gives other teams, uh, I guess you could say, a leg up on them. And they're a little bit behind. Would you agree with that? There is that argument. But actually, when you speak to the club, they, they don't feel they are. And okay, um, good. I, I, saw a thing, you know, I saw a thing yesterday where I think there's been 15 transfers in the Premier League so yep. far. So, you know, not, not even won a team yet. So, um, you know... As as I probably did it the last two or three summers, I I can post <laughs> where it shows when we sign players. Sure. It will be, let's be honest, it will be in the last two weeks and last week probably. <laughs> um, but it's you know it's not helped by the World Cup and every right. team's going to be in that situation. Right. But we, I was at an I was at a meeting with the club today with the trust, and they are going through their they're working through their list trying to get deals done. 
they are working with the championship list. And McIntosh said that Tony Khan turned to him um, before the end of the game, <laughs> before the end of the final, and said, uh, you know, which players should we be going for now then? Um, sort of half-jokingly, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, they are on it, um, but it will take time, and we just have to accept that. Okay, very good there, Mike. All right. I have a little bonus topic for you before we end talking about Aston Villa because I want to get your thoughts about their financial situation. It was announced today, we're recording this on Tuesday, player departures. I'm just going to mention one name that stands out. You can actually go on the uh, Fulham website or the app and check out all the names. But I want to get your thoughts on Fulham releasing George Williams, who now has signed with another club. Um, I was disappointed to see this. I understand it from a Fulham perspective and also from George's perspective. But um, I think that George has potential, and I'm sorry that it didn't work out with Fulham. I want to get your thoughts. Yeah, I was sorry to see that. We did. Uh, the club actually did have an option on him to give him another year. Uh, they didn't take it up, which in some, you know, is disappointing in some ways. But in another way, they sort of said, you know, I'm sorry, you're at a certain age where, you know, maybe it'd be best for you to move on. We're not going to look for any money, you know, not even you know, silly fifty or hundred thousand or anything like that. We'll let you move on and uh, and find another club. And, uh, you know, they let him know a while, you know a while ago, and that's what he's gone and done with. And so good luck to him. And uh, we, I'm sure every Fulham fan wishes the best. Absolutely. He had two terrible injuries. Um, you know, I know Kit Simons really rated him. And, you know, Slav had a good look at him towards the end of last year. He played in the under when I say last year, I mean uh, 16, 17 sure. season, where, he, where from Christmas onwards, he played in virtually every under-23 game, scored goals, but never got a look in at the squad. Uh, and that was his first real decent run of games from when he had an injury. Um, but for whatever reason, Slav doesn't see him, you know, making any inroads into the squad. So, you know, unfortunately, they've let him go. But he's found a club, which is good. Um, I'm sure he can play higher than that level and hopefully have a good season. And, you know, he either progresses with uh, Forest Green or, or he moves on as well. But uh, I don't think it's the last we've seen of, of George and hopefully he can get back in the Welsh team as well. Absolutely. I, I want to wish uh, George all the best and uh, I hope things work out for him. All right, Mike, let's now talk about Aston Villa. I've been following this situation. I've been I guess you could say surprise. Maybe I shouldn't be, but I, I have been surprised with the uh, financial situation that they're under. I want to get your thoughts on it because I know you watch financials for Fulham. So I want to get your thoughts about what's been going on at Aston Villa. Uh, they're a club that didn't plan well. It's as simple as that. Uh, you know, I mean, I've banged on about it for the last, you know, since we got relegated on this show in, and on writing online, you know, that. Even Fulham were, you know, we were paying wages maybe a little bit too high. Um, it paid off in the end. You know, we got promotion. But make make no bones about it. We wouldn't be in Villa's position, you know, the dire straits that, that they are in. But if we hadn't gone up, we would have been cashing in assets and we would have been selling. It wouldn't have been a fire sale. Right. But there are certain, we would have had to have cut our our wage wages i reckon by at least a third um so all the top earners would have been gone but then that was also based on you know if we've spoken on the show when i've said look at all these players were signing we're signing them on three and four year contracts they're planning ahead 
the guys from Europe, people like IET, Kamar, all that, they're not going to be on massives, so they would have stayed. But your Kearneys and probably, you know, your Hansons, those kind of guys, um, even Cess, they, I suspect they would have all gone. And it would have been a struggle for us. But, you know, that's the realities of no more parachute payments and, and working within the restrictions that the uh, Football League have. But going back to Villa, they, they chased it. They had a manager who I have, you know, I have said a number of times, he goes to clubs, he, he gets a club going with the players he has, and as soon as he gets to spend money, um, it doesn't always work out, and then he moves on and he leaves a mess, just as Harry does. Mm-hmm. And Bruce is, for me, Bruce is, you know, he's good at what he does, but he's a limited manager, and I think we saw that in his tactics second half as well. Um, but he's also someone who, well, most managers and coaches, I suppose, they they don't want to work. Bruce would not want to work in the, in the way we work. So two box, four boxes, whatever kind of system you want to call <laughs> that we run at Fulham. It wouldn't work with Bruce. No, Bruce would not want that. Bruce no. wants to go and buy the players he had at Hull and everywhere else. Yep. And what happens is they come along and they're on 40 and 50 and 60K when really they should be on, you know, if the championship average wage is 15, then that's what you should be on. And they, they gambled, they spent a lot of money. They did recoup a lot of money. But the fact is they were still paying silly wages. And and for a big club, it's delusions of grandeur. It's living off the past and it's not being realistic. And and they paid the penalty for, for yep. giving it a go for two years and and the money basically drying up. Yep. Um, you know, when you, re- when you read he's been paying, what is it, two million a month or whatever, just to keep the club running, it's a cash flow issue. It is. Um, yeah, but I mean, there should be no dispensation. I've seen a couple of the press guys, especially Villa fans in the press, saying, oh, we shouldn't allow the big clubs like this, you know, one of the first. Well, I'm sorry, they've got to look after themselves in some ways, and, and that's what FFP is about. And, right. you know, there are certain other rules I would put in place for a team that gets relegated. Um, you know, I think, for example, every team that gets relegated, your wages should be cut by 50%, you know, irrespective of what's, you know, you were getting paid in the Premier League, you know, that's your contract. You get relegated, you lose 50%. That should be mandatory across the board. And, um, you know, just to, just to drop the wage bill. Right. They, they couldn't keep going with that wage bill they had. But it's sad to see, but, you know, they are like, look at all the other clubs. The Championship is a bloody hard league and there's some big clubs there and we're they're all struggling to get out of it um we took a certain route um over the four years and fair play to Carnes. in the fourth year i i thought they were going to make more dramatic cuts and and they didn't do that they gave it one more go um but we would have seen it we would have seen changes this coming season but Thank God we don't need to do that. But yeah, I feel sorry for Villa fans. Yeah. Um, so do I. But then, but then fans are, yeah, but fans are an issue as well. That's because all the fans are, oh, it's not your money. Who cares? Let them spend it. Blah, blah, blah. But you can see what happens when they do. You know, you have to cut your cloth. Yeah. It, what's uh, funny about this, when I'm really reading about what's been going on with them to, uh, See the players that haven't been playing for them, including Ross McCormack on, on high wages, Mike. Uh, that's part of uh, yeah. 
the reason why they are where they are. They did not plan well. I'm glad that you mentioned that. They went for it. And uh, Steve Bruce's way of doing things, and I, I saw him in an interview, he wanted experienced players this season. Well, he did that. But like you said, he has now left them with a little bit of a mess, and now they're in the situation that they are. And Fulham or not, but I, you know, I just want to mention I, I, I do want to wish the uh, Aston Villa supporters the best. I, I talked to several of them, and I don't wish them uh, what's going on with them, but we'll see what happens with them in the future. But it's just an interesting situation to talk about comparing that to what's happened with Fulham, and uh, we'll see what happens with Villa in the future. All right, Mike, it's time now to get questions. I believe we have six, but we also have a little comment that I want to start off with because this goes back to leading up to the match at Wembley and uh, you were very helpful and uh, Steve Cockle wanted me to share this with you so I'm just going to share it with you. Russ, can you thank Mike for all the help he gave numerous people in the lead up to Wembley? Great stuff, Steve. And I've heard this from other fans. Uh, others have reached out to me as well, Mike, and I know um, I think I might have mentioned this when I saw you in person, but seriously, thank you for everything that you did for the Fulham supporters in the lead-up. You do a great deal already for all the time I've known you, but this was actually special. So I've wanted to share that with you. That's very nice of Steve to say. And uh, one of the nicest things on um, on the final day was, uh, as I mentioned, some fans coming up to me and thanking me. And I was with, you know, I was, I was with Martina, my wife, and... Yep. Um, the sort of penny dropped that day from her for her that uh, you know hours spent on the computer and making phone calls and then doing that kind of thing is uh, is what I do and not to get too personal but as some people may know I'm uh, going through a bit of a tough time personally at the moment and um, I've had lots of messages you know wishing me well and and I've, I've so I've had spare time if you like to to help fans leading up to the final and. Um, and I've got to thank the club as well because I was able to contact them with ease and uh, and get information and and help individuals as well where possible. Um, so if I paid a small part in in you know helping people get to the game and get their tickets and enjoy it, then uh, you know I'm very pleased with that. And uh, you know I thank everyone for their comments. Okay, excellent, Mike. And you deserve it. You did a. Uh a great job with the lead up to Wembley. But like I said, it's this is nothing unusual knowing you. This is who you are. All right, Mike, let's start with the questions. Let's start with Dean Monroe. These are all on the Cars Talk Facebook page. One question would be how Savisa Jokanovic is going to adjust the team shape and formation given that we will have less possession and time on the ball with the expected quality of the opposition. We've been used to dominating the stats with the average possession percentage of 60% plus over the 23-game unbeaten run, but it's likely Slavisa and the team won't command those stats in the Premier League. Now, Mike, I've talked to you about this with the situation with Tagana, so I want your thoughts on Dean's question because I was thinking about it as well. Will Slavisa at some point have to adjust his style, or do you think he's just going to go with it and hope that it works? I, I certainly don't think they're just going to go with it. I mean, one thing we've learned from Jokanovic and his coaching team is that they they are thorough in everything. I mean, I found, you know, every meeting I go to with the club, I find out something new that he's tampered with or wants to change. And one of the things was training kits. So, uh, 
we uh, they've launched the training kit for next year, haven't they? And it's online. And yep. and somebody said, well, following the following the white wall, uh, can't Fulham have a bit more white training kit? And then I find out today that Jukanovic and his guys prefer the darker training kits, so uh, they won't be producing a white one. <laughs> so. Uh, you know, um, they they look at everything, and you know the the video analysis guy stays up to something like two or three in the morning, wow. putting his file in files together, and you know, oh, we're certainly not going to have sixty percent when we play any of the top six, are we? No. You know, let's be honest here. And I mean, I was talking to Dan Crawford today, um, who I was with, and uh, you know, we were talking about when we play Man City, you know. We have the ball in our third, passing it around to each other. They have the ball in their, you know, their third. Uh, you know, what's going to happen in that game? And but really, I see it as I see the Premier League now, and I've, I've started doing some research, ready for next year's sort of stats that I produce. And really, it, it's two leagues now. Whereas maybe right. six or seven years ago, when we were in it, it was even possibly three leagues. You know, it was a top four or five the next middle group, and then the bottom. But now, I've got to say, since we've been down over four years, it's now just become basically the top six. And everyone else. Whoever can finish, everyone who can, anyone who can finish seventh. Yeah. And then, yeah, the rest, the rest. So really, the 60% thing, you look at the teams in that bottom half, and you've got to say, well, there's a good chance we're going to out-possession you. That's because, a good point, Mike. That's that's the way we play. So against, I would say at least half the teams next year, we could still do what we do now, which okay. is keep the ball for quite a while. But against the better sides, what will happen is we will get punished more if we make those silly mistakes. Right. Um, so it, it will be a. I think he will adapt a bit more in in maybe not being as possession heavy at the back. Um, just on the basis that a mistake will um, be punished much more heavily than uh, at championship level. But I, I, I think we're still going to see the keep it on the floor, pass it, be patient, um, and, and take it from there. But it, we might see a bit more so tactical you see, now. So Vita is going to, you think he's going to adjust to the opponent, certain opponents? Yeah, I was just about to say, I, I think he's he, tactically, we're probably going to see him be... We're going to see his tactical side of him more next year, where we okay. adopt different things for different opposition. Whereas in the championship, you can probably get away with playing the same against, you know, 22 or 21 of the 23 teams you play. Um, there are some teams you're just never going to be able to uh, <laughs> get a result off. But um, yeah, I, I, it's going to be fascinating to watch because I, I, I do think we're still going to play the same way for the vast majority of the uh, season. But um, but the interesting thing we were talking about, you know, you look at the Tottenham game last year where we pretty oh, much that was got terrible. slaughtered. Yeah. Um, Southampton was a bit of a... We didn't want to win it. They didn't want to win it. Um, you know, you've got the Bowie game. So there's, there's, there's a few teams we played. He's a little bit of a chance to look at that kind of level. But I still go back to the fact that I think there's... 12, 13 teams there where we we shouldn't worry about too much. Um, but it's the other six who are gonna, yeah. who are going to be the really hard. Yeah, absolutely, mate. That that's a great way to look at it. 
because I was thinking about, well, they can still play the possession style against certain teams. And you just pretty much uh, mentioned, you know, if you look at it, it's those six teams and everyone else, maybe a few still fighting for seventh, but I think you could still have that possession style, even in certain circumstances with some of those teams as well. So it'll be interesting to see how he adjusts. Like you said, we'll see more of his tactical side in the Premier yeah, League. Well, yeah, I mean, well, if you, you know, if you look at the teams, you know, Burnley play a, a certain style, but I still think we could, you know, Watford, we could do it against, um, you know, Leicester all never had more possession than anyone else, do they really? <laughs> um, you know, Huddersfield, Palace, Wolves, you know, there's no reason why against half that league, we're not going to have no. the same kind of possession. I just don't see it. You know? That's a good point there, Mike. All right, let's move on. Here's a question from Chris Frank. I've written in questions for Mike on FFP before, and he has always given great informative answers. So please forgive me going back to the same topic. What does promotion do to the FFP picture? Is our championship slate wiped clean, or could it come back and bite us if we got relegated, as seems to have happened to QPR? Are the Premier League slash UEFA restrictions very different to those in the championship? Your thoughts, Mike? Okay. Oh, well, yeah, I've been trying to educate myself on the Premier League rules. It's not 100% clear. Surprise, surprise. Um, so let's talk about the championship. So the clubs say that they're fine. So you, what you would need to look at is the season just gone and the previous two seasons. And as long as we haven't lost more than £39 million, then we'll be fine. And the club are saying we haven't lost it. Um, but we will know later in the year. But um, uh, I think we're okay. So if we did go up and get relegated, um, I think we're fine. I, I don't think there's any kind of QPR thing coming along, uh, so we shouldn't worry about that. That's a, it's a bit of a red herring, I think. Um, and even if we have broken it, I suspect it won't be by much. But um, I'm fairly confident we're okay on it. Okay, excellent. The Premier League rules. Yeah, the Premier League rules are. Are complicated. <laughs> they sure. are complicated. Um, there are, there in some ways, there's three different rules in the in the Premier League. There's there's the UEFA rules where if you're a team that ends up getting in the UEFA League, um, uh, be it the Champions League or the uh, Europa Cup, you 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 have to be a certain within their certain guidelines. I've not looked at them because we're nowhere near that at the moment. Okay, so. Uh, no, let's not worry about that until we have to. Um, yeah. The basic rule of, of FFP in the Premier League is um, clubs are not allowed to make a loss of more than £105 million over a three-year period. Okay, so uh, that's one thing to sort of remember. If you're in okay. there long enough to roll in three years, at currently it's £105 million. All right. They They don't take any figures from your premier from your championship days so we start with a clean slate in that okay, good. of the word yeah the premier league had two types of rules there's the profitability and sustainability rules <laughs> and then there's the short-term cost controls the one the ones that we've got to think about or the, or the ones that are going to affect us is basically and i might be wrong here because this is one of the areas which is a bit great but it looks like as a promoted team, we're allowed to incre increase our wages 
It looks like to 67 million, but it might be 81. So it's somewhere in that region uh, for next year. And currently our wages, I would have a guess at, are probably at the 30 million mark, the same as last year. Okay. So, or the same being 17. So that's the kind of room that we've got. And that sort of bears the same kind of, if you look at the teams that have gone up uh, recently, uh, if you look at Brighton, Newcastle, those kind of teams, Huddersfield, and then the year before Burnley and all the others, they all do well in the first year financially. They all make a profit. And that's what will happen with us this year, I suspect. We will go up, get all this extra money in, but we're also limited by what we can increase in wages so that we will make money. If you survive into the second and third year, that's where teams start losing money. So you think, sure. how can they lose money? Well, because it's, it's wages and transfer fees and right. stuff like that. So the main thing, you know, to, to answer the question, the main thing is we are fine. I can't see us getting anywhere near uh, 81 million in wages. I mean, just, just think about what you've got to start paying out. Um, but I will say that if you look at some of the uh, finance guys who uh, do a lot of reporting on Premier League wages, a mid-table Premier League team, so if we took, say, Everton, for example, they are the uh, I think ninth or tenth highest payers um, and they they pay 105 million in wages. West Ham pay 95 million in wages. And in fact, you look at a league table; it's almost the same. So you pay more wages, right. you'll tend to finish in that kind of area of the table. It doesn't always work out like that, but you know that's what you're looking at. So the teams who went up two years ago, but you know you look at their wages. You know, or the bottom teams, you know, Burnley 61, Hull 61, Borough 65, Bournemouth 72, Watford 76. That's the kind of figures we're going to be looking at next year. If we if we are going to do well to stay up, that's the kind of wages we, look, we, we are going to look at paying. So we're going to be doubling our wages plus a bit more. Um, okay. But we're receiving £100 million. And so, <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, it's a, it is a difficult one, but there's certainly less restrictions than in the championship. Okay, excellent, Mike. And is that, is that detailed enough there, Russell? That's very detailed, Mike, and that's actually going to lead nicely into my next topic for you. It's from Roger Lewis because it involves money that we're getting, okay? So his question to you is, could Mike please explain how our windfall of 170 million pounds will be given to the club? Is it in partial payments, in a lump sum? Or at the end of the season. Now, I want to mention, I actually read up a little bit about this. That £170 million figure, I believe, Mike, and you can mention this if, if I'm wrong on this, I believe what's built into that has to do with the parachute payments. A big part of that £170 million, I believe, is thought of to be parachute payments if we get relegated. So please do feel yeah. free to uh, share your thoughts on uh, Roger's question here. Yeah, it's um, that 170 million figure is uh, it's a bad figure. It's a bad. What that basically is is the amount of money you'll get if you go up and get relegated, and right. then stay That's relegated in the championship, and stay relegated in the championship, and receive all your parachute payments. Um, basically, um, the money is paid. There's different kinds of money that comes in. There's the uh, you know the TV money. There's the prize money. 
all those kind of things. I think a lot of it is given in stages, in quarters. Um, you know, it's distributed throughout the season. Uh, some clubs have been known to take loans out against money they're due to receive at the end of a season. Um, but for cash flow reasons, they, they do pay in stages. Um, yeah, so um, the actual figures I haven't got to hand. Um, but, you know, if we were to finish bottom, we'd probably get about £100 million. Pounds, um, and then you get your parachute payments after that. Uh, and then and then they've just changed the rules, haven't they, for not this coming season, but the season after on international payments, where, they, where basically the bigger clubs are going to get more. Um, and that will, you know, that will create, you know, a bigger gap between the top clubs and the bottom clubs. But uh, maybe that's a discussion for another day. But um, yeah, it's about about a hundred million plus we're going to get just by being in the league next year. Um, so I, unless we go absolutely mental on our um, transfer fees, I don't think Mr. Khan is going to have to put any uh, his hand in the pocket to. Uh, <laughs> put any uh, cash flow issues for us, not in this coming season anyway. Okay, excellent, Mike. All right, we have a, a couple more topics. We are running short of time. So uh, one actually is something that you've already talked about. Colm Bugler said this, how many players do you think we need to buy loan in to be able to compete in the league? His guess was eight. Isn't that what you said, Mike? Yeah, I said eight to ten for, for a big squad for uh, to, to get us going. And, um, yeah. That's what we need, really, and, okay, and quality ones as well. Oh, definitely quality ones, Mike. All right, this one's interesting. Going to involve a former Fulham player. I think you're going to like this, Mike. Gary Martin has this question for you. Moussa Dembele has apparently been made available for transfer from Celtic. If the opportunity arose, would you like to see him back at Fulham, Mike? Yeah, I'll take him back because I rate him, but then I know half the Fulham fans don't rate him. and. Um, but I think he's, uh, you know, he has his route that he wants to take and he'll be looking for uh, a bigger club in Europe, I would have thought. Uh, sure. I think I think Spain would be a, an ideal place for Dembele. I wish him well. I liked him and, you know, I, I've i been interested to see people who have slagged off uh, Dembele when he went to, uh, when he left us for a free and go to Celtic. Those same people have been very different with Fredericks, who... Um, has walked away and we've got no fee for. So uh, it's uh, one rule for one and one for another. You know, these players, look at today. We've put the release list out. Williams has found a club, um, you know, but there's other players, other youngsters there who most Fulham fans will never have heard of. They're 18 years old. They have no club to go to and we've let them go. So it works both ways. If you want loyalty from players, um, you know, it works the other way where we just, I wouldn't say we throw them away because we try very hard to find them clubs. I know uh, the backroom staff try that. But, um, you know, at 18, they're unemployed and uh, need to find a, a football team along with hundreds of other players who have been released. Okay, excellent. Mike, we got just a couple minutes, and this is actually a good question. So I am going to give you Ben Lloyd's question. Here it is. Do you think we should go okay. all out in the transfer window or be conservative with our business? No, I don't think we should go all out because in the end, you know, you end up with an issue if it all goes wrong, don't you? So it's not a case of going all out. It's a case of being sensible, 
Um, there is, as I said earlier, that kind of benchmark where every team that goes up, and I, there is data about it, you need to spend. And we need to spend, as I say, 50, maybe 60 million um, on those eight to 10 players of varying costs. And, um, and the most important thing is, you know, people talk about ambition, everything else. The most important thing is for the next year is to stay up. That is it. Finish 17th. That's fine because that's when the real money starts kicking in and, and frees you up to, to invest as much as you can. Um, even Mr. Khan, with all his billions, could not throw a ton of money at the club this year because there are still technically um, you know, restrictions to stop us doing that. So most important thing is to stay up. But I don't believe we're going to go mental with... We're, we're going to, it's not so much the sustainability, it's just sensible business practice to, you know, plan ahead and, you know, try and somehow accumulate those 38 plus points that I think we're probably going to need next year. Okay, excellent there, Mike. Listen, great show. I always enjoy doing it. And as I mentioned to you before, the phone supporters seem to enjoy it because they're listening to you a great deal. So thank you again, Mike, for doing this with me. Yeah, no problem at all, Russ. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting times. And with the World Cup about to kick off, uh, we're all going to get our fix of football. And uh, hopefully, we, uh, you know, after that, we'll be looking at some signings. I would just, but my main rule is do not sign a player just on the performance in a tournament. Please do not do that. For me. <laughs> I'm there with you, Mike. All right. Great show, but it is time to wrap this up. From Mike Gregg, I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you, as always, for listening to Cottage Talk. It's the 90th minute, and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.